0: Good morning. I'm Sissy, this is David, and we are so excited to be with you all today for the whole day. It's really fun to be here. We're going to try and sneak off and get some good queso if you have any suggestions on great Tex-Mex in the area. Being from Nashville, we do not have it, so we're so happy always to come this way and be able to get good Tex-Mex. So Feel free to come talk to us at the end of the service. Uh, We are, as I said, from Nashville. We work at a place called Daystar Counseling Ministries. Both of us, I have counseled girls there since 1993, and David has counseled boys there since 1997. When we were both five is when we started (laughs) just kidding so um anyway we love the work that we get to do at daystar and if you were to bring your child to daystar if you were in our area we try to make counseling feel really as warm and inviting and engaging as it possibly can i don't know if any of you all have ever been to counseling taking your kids but it can feel a little scary it can feel a little intimidating and so we are in this super cute yellow house with a white picket fence our offices really look like living rooms. We have spiced tea brewing in the lobby. We have a popcorn machine and kids come right in and get snacks. We have 13 counselors on staff, but really the kids who come, their favorite therapists are the five therapy dogs we have on staff. And so you will just as likely be greeted when you walk in by a person or by Blueberry Pancake, who is the Old English Sheepdog that works at Daystar. And so we love this work that we get to do on a daily basis and and I think my favorite quote ever about Daystar is a little girl was walking out of our building with her mom and she said, you know, mom, I don't really go to Daystar for counseling. I just go to talk about my problems, which is <laughs> obviously who we want to be and who we love that we get to be in the lives of kids and families. And, and our, what we learn from them, sitting with them every day is really what we're going to be talking about this afternoon. And David, I'd love for you to tell them a little bit more about that.
1: I will. I would echo what Sissy said. We have loved spending the morning with this church community and grateful we get to spend the whole day. And would love for you to come back and spend this afternoon with us. We are going to track through boy and girl development, excuse me, from birth all the way through adolescence. So we're going to talk about unique things that kids need in certain moments. We're going to talk about some specific things kids need from their moms, specific things from their dads, That photo that was shared a little bit earlier and that story that Skylar shared, I loved. I had no idea that was going to come up on the screen. And nothing about a four-year-old boy trapped inside of a claw machine surprises me at all. (laughs) I'm going to help that make sense. In fact, I I met a mom after the last service who said her son was on a youth retreat and a seventh-grade boy got stuck inside the claw machine trying to pass prizes out to his friends. That doesn't surprise me either. So we'll talk about how a boy of any age could get stuck in a claw machine, and why, and all of what's going on in girls' brains and boys' brains. So we'd love for you to come back and spend the afternoon. We're gonna laugh a lot, and hopefully learn a lot about the kids we love.
0: We have currently, I think we have 1,600 families in counseling at Daystar, and they are there for every reason imaginable. Maybe their parents have gotten divorced. Maybe they've lost a family member. It might be that they're struggling a little bit socially. They're anxious, depressed. All of the things that a lot of us go through at any given time. And, and we're going to talk today about what we're learning from them because there is so much that they have to teach us. I met with a little girl recently who I think she thought she had a lot to teach me. She was this adorable little thing, long blonde hair, and she sat on the couch opposite me in my office and her feet didn't quite yet touch the floor and so she was swinging her little legs and I was trying to talk to her about why she was there and she stopped me and she said, how old are you? And I said, I'm kind of old, I'm 48. And I said, how old are you? And she said, I'm six. Don't you wish you were six? <laughs> <laughs> Which some of us do on some days. We don't want the responsibility. But there, that is a picture of that age of a child. And there is so much that we can learn from children. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning. The things that we can learn from where they are, from what's going on with them. And I want to share y'all this passage with you from Matthew 18. That says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We don't know exactly why he said that, but I think we would guess some things based on our experience with kids counseling. And I don't know if y'all are like me, but when I think about that scene, and Jesus called the child, the thing that maybe strikes me the most initially is that the child did what? Yeah, he came. He came immediately. Because if I were to picture myself in this crowd of people, and Jesus looks at me and he calls me up, I think I would probably try and slip a little bit behind the person who's standing in front of me. I would be so uncomfortable. Or maybe you would think, oh, I can't come right now. I have so many errands that I have to run first. Or you would think, I don't really want to go up there. I'd rather my kids have that experience. I'm going to push them in front of me. Or you might think, surely he's not talking to me. I don't deserve for for him to call me up there. Or maybe you would think, I don't really know him. I don't trust him. I'm not going to go up there yet. I'd rather just watch for a while or maybe you think, I think I'd like to pray about it first. We can fall into any of those thoughts that block our responsiveness, but children don't. There's just a natural responsiveness that happens through their childhood ages that is so rich and it stops. And you all may remember what that looked like when it stopped, but they hit an age where self-consciousness creeps in. It's a little bit like any of you who have recently come to church and seen somebody that you knew was potentially going through a divorce or had just lost somebody that they loved and you think, I wanna say something but I don't know if I should say something because maybe they're not thinking about it right now and I'll say something and then they will and then they'll get sad or maybe I'm gonna say the wrong thing and I don't wanna say the wrong thing so I'd rather say nothing. We will tell you from sitting with those folks in counseling what they would say to you is say something. Please say something respond. And that's what Jesus calls us to. And y'all, even in group counseling, that's one of the things that we do at Daystar. I can sit with second through fourth grade girls in groups, and one of them will say they're going through something hard. And those little girls will hop up and hug her immediately. They don't even think a thing about it. They are so responsive with each other. Fast forward to seventh or eighth grade, which just as a preview, I'm sorry if you're in seventh or eighth grade and you're a girl, but just as a preview, what we're going to talk about today, we call those the narcissistic years (laughs) because they're thinking about themselves a lot. They have to to become their own little people, but they're thinking about themselves a lot. So it's not that they don't care about the other person, but they're thinking, I don't want to say anything. I'm going to sound stupid. And so they don't. It's what we go through often too. It chokes out our responsiveness, that self-consciousness, and so we want to move back towards what does it look like to be like a child that Jesus has called us to, because it's such a part of who they are. Hmm. Talk about
1: the next. Time. I think, in addition to being responsive, they remind us to be honest. And I think about the different kids over the years that I have interacted with who've reminded me of that truth. And I think about one little guy in particular who's a friend of my son's. I have three children and my oldest is a girl and about a year into her life, we got pregnant for the second time and we were just incredibly grateful. And we went for our ultrasound midway through the pregnancy as you do and I remember walking in the door and saying to the ultrasound tech, okay, we're really old school. We don't wanna know what we're having. I know we have all this modern technology, but we didn't know my daughter was a girl till the day she was born. So please make a note in the chart, but don't tell us. And I can still remember where I was standing as she was scanning my wife's belly and she looked up with this huge smile and said, I see two heads. And I remember thinking, why are you smiling if the baby has two heads? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing about that sounded right to me you I was genuinely that shocked. We have no history of multiples in our family. My wife had not gained extra weight. Her counts weren't different. None of the indicators that you get when you're carrying multiples were there for us. So here we are midway through the pregnancy and find this out. So I said, okay, well then I'm gonna lay down on the floor and you tell us what we're having now. We're so <laughs> behind. So she said, two boys. We're still recovering from that news 16 years later. <clears throat> And when my sons were in elementary school, they met a little buddy at school named Jack, and Jack spent a lot of time at our house over the years. And Jack is one of those honest, truthful kids. You never have to wonder what he's thinking. He just comes right out and says it. I can't tell you the number of times he's made a comment about something with me. He will look at me and just say, can tell you feel tired right now, Mr. Thomas. Yeah, or he one time said to me in January, my dad gains about 10 pounds every Christmas too. And so it's just brutally honest. And Jack was spending time in the home of some of our friends and the dad told me the story that they were eating dinner together as a family and sat down at the table, were holding hands. And he said, Jack, would you love to say the blessing tonight? And he said, I'd be glad to. And so they all bowed their heads and there was silence. And then more silence. And my friend thought, you know, I should probably tell him he can start anytime he wants. So he just looked up and said, Jack, whenever you're ready. Bowed his head again, more silence. And then Jack looked up and he just said, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. The freedom that little guy felt that I think we lose. We lose. To be that honest with where we are, think about, he talked about walking in church and seeing someone you may have walked in this morning and saw a friend and they said, how are you? And you said, we're great. And maybe you had a tumultuous drive to church this morning with a lot of arguing in the back of your van. Or maybe you're not doing great, but we don't feel the freedom to be that honest in ways that we're invited to do, and especially in this place. You all, I want to go back to a little earlier in Matthew chapter 11. And you all know this passage. Be reminded of this truth today. Verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. But we have to be honest that we have that need. And I, I want you to hear me say, "I struggle as much as anyone in that place." In fact, if I were at my home church in Nashville right now at the end of every service, when we do the benediction, our pastor will ask us to stand with our hands open and receive the benediction as a reminder of how much we need that blessing and how empty-handed we are. And there's something about that posture that I 've been taking more and more when I pray in the morning as a reminder to And I do it more because I need it more than the average person. In fact, Sissy and I tell on ourselves a lot, have any of you studied the Enneagram? Do any of you know of the Enneagram? Raise your hands. Okay, several of you do. If you don't, it's a personality inventory, a typology. If you wanna, I had had a couple folks ask me about it last service. If you wanna look it up, it's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram, and it's a great tool for spiritual formation. It's a great tool just for us to understand more of how we're hardwired, how we see the world, how we experience the world. So every one of us is a number between one and nine. And Sissy and I are both ones on the Enneagram, which is like the type A personality. We're very efficient, productive. We're like the people you'd want on your committee because we get a lot done, we can check a lot off a list.
0: We move fast with the airport. We move you should very see us fast in the airport. Oh yes,
1: you should. In fact, our name, the name of the one is often the perfectionist or the reformer. Like we see all the things wrong in the world and we want to make it right. I have such great ideas for everyone. I just need you to listen to those, all right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I live a lot of life like this. I think in not an open-handed posture, but a closed-handed posture, controlling posture. And I was reading those words that were up on the screen as we were being ushered into worship. Did you all see those? I wrote them down because I needed that reminder so badly. Quiet my anxious heart. Help me unclench my hands. Mm. And that is a posture of, of honesty and of where you're about to take us of trust.
0: I had, before I go there, I had a great reminder recently of the honesty and the responsiveness of kids. And I was meeting with a dad and he told me that his eight-year-old daughter, who was so kind, said something to him recently. And they were in the line at Chick-fil-A ordering food and she was standing behind him and he felt her tap him on the arm and he turned around and said, yes. And she said, dad, I'm sorry. And he said why are you sorry? And she said, that bald spot on the back of your head, it's got to make you really sad. (laughs) Honest, responsive, and they're trusting. They're also (laughs) trusting. She felt like she could say that to him and it was going to be okay because she knew he loved her. Trusting. You all, research says we have 30,000 thoughts per day on average. Most of our thoughts are critical and judgmental. And they're critical and judgmental because we don't trust so often we don't trust other people and we don't trust god and i think that starts right about the same window as the time we lose that sense of responsiveness i don't know that i've ever talked to an eight or nine year old child who says i don't really trust other people but i can't even count the amount of adolescents over the years who have said i don't trust people I don't trust that the people in my school really want to get to know me. I don't trust that they care about me. I don't trust that they want to know what's happening when I miss school for a day. They're not calling me to see where I am or texting me, I should say, or Snapchatting me to see where I am. I don't trust them. Then we become adults and we don't necessarily say that anymore, but we become just what David was talking about. We clench our fists, we get critical, we get judgmental, we get fearful, we get anxious sometimes. I don't know if any of you would say you ever struggle with a little bit of anxiety, but one of the things we will talk about later is anxiety in kids. If you do, and you're a parent, your child is seven times more likely to struggle with it themselves is what the latest research says. And, and we our, our most recent book that we wrote was called is called, are my kids on track? And when we wrote it three years ago, the statistics in kids were one in eight kids. Are struggling with anxiety today it's considered a childhood epidemic it was already three years ago today i just finished writing a book on girls and anxiety i read 24 books on anxiety which is more than anyone ever wants to read about anything i was twitching for months i think reading about anxiety that long but the statistics today are one in four one in four kids and girls are twice as likely to deal with that We want to be doing something different. We want to be living ourselves with a sense of trust and helping the kids we love learn to do that. If you have kids in your life, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're an aunt or an uncle or a teacher, we all have children in our lives in some place that we can reflect to them what trust really does look like and the difference it makes relationally. I want to read y'all a passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible that is really the same verses that we were talking about earlier in Matthew 18. So in this, Sally Lloyd-Jones is is retelling the story, and she says, Now if you had been there, what do you think? Would you have had to line up quietly to see Jesus? Do you think Jesus would have asked you how good you'd been before he'd give you a hug? Would you have had to be on your best behavior and get dressed up and not speak until you're spoken to? Or would you have done just what these children did, run straight up to Jesus and let him pick you up in his arms and swing you and kiss you and hug you and then sit you on his lap and listen to your stories and your chats you see children love Jesus and they knew they didn't need to do anything special for Jesus to love them all they needed to do was to run into his arms and so that's just what they did well after all the laughing and games Jesus turned to his helpers and said no matter how big you grow Never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart full of trust in God. Be like these children. They are the most important in my kingdom. Mm. And when we trust, when your children were young and they trusted you, were just learning what it looked like to trust you, who you said that they were was what they believed. They let your love define them. That ripples over into God's love defining us. When we trust him, that's what happens. And just as an illustration of that, so I have kind of a funny family story and I was an only child till I was 16, which you can imagine if you're here in 16, that's kind of a shocker to hear from your parents that they're pregnant. And so when my parents sat me down and told me that they were going to have a baby, evidently my first response was, I didn't know you all did that anymore. (laughs) And so I had this little sister and... You can imagine, in that scenario, so my parents were in their early 40s. She was beloved by them, by all their friends. She was like the mascot of my group of friends. We took her everywhere we went. And so Kathleen had a really great sense of trust and confidence in who she was. And she also had this super cute, blonde curly hair, and she had a really awesome lisp, which is fun when you're her big sister and your name's Sissy. And so one day when Kathleen was three or four, She and my mom were running errands, and they went to the jewelry store, and my mom sat her up on the counter when she was getting her jewelry cleaned or whatever, and the the woman that worked there walked over and said, honey, you are so cute. What's your name? And she said, well, my real name is Kathleen, but most people call me sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) Confidence, trust. She believed what we were all saying about her. She believed, and I think it's still part of why she's as confident as she is as a grown up. We want God's love to define us. When we trust Him, that's what happens. We step into that place as children of God, and we believe that's who we are. I want to read y'all one verse from the message in 1 John 3 that says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. That's what defines us. Mm. Talk about the last one. I
1: think they remind us to be responsive to be honest, to be trusting, and also to be forgiving. Mm -hmm. I think children have a remarkable ability to forgive, to extend mercy, and then to move on. And we sadly can lose that as grown-ups, how easily we will extend forgiveness or mercy, and then how important it is to move on. And you all, I think we're gonna struggle in that place in several, different ways I think we can really struggle as parents in forgiving ourselves as people and just forgiving ourselves and I think to the degree that we can't do that well and just acknowledge our need for Jesus I think we have trouble extending forgiveness to other people and to the degree that we know that we make a mess of things we know how much we need Jesus and we're gonna talk this afternoon and we wanna remind you you know this but as parents in the room, you are going to mess up. It's not a matter of if you will, it's when. It's when you will. And what does it look like to extend forgiveness to yourself? What does it look like to go back to your children and say, I'm sorry, I lost it. I said things, I did things I wish I hadn't said or done. What does that look like? And when I think about reminders that kids give here, I think about a young man I met years ago who reminded me about so much about parenting and I met this kid when he was a junior in high school. He was a great kid, a great student, a great athlete. This young man was likely well on his way to play college football, probably at a place he chose. In his junior year, second game of the season, he experienced an injury that not only took him out of that game, it took him out of the season and it ended up after surgery taking him out of football altogether. So it pulled the rug out from underneath this kid. He had to rethink all of life. And he began experiencing some intense sadness, as I think any of us would, to be experiencing what he was experiencing. And so we spent some time together, and this brave, resilient kid, he just fought through that for a year. He went away to college, not where he wanted to go, but went away to college. And His freshman year, I got a call from his mom and she said, David, he's gonna be home over Thanksgiving and would love to come in and just check in. And I said, I'd love to see him. And it was so good to sit down with this young man. And he was really, at that point, just facing the normal stuff we all remember facing when you go away for the first time and live on your own and how overwhelming that can be. We were talking through a lot of the things he was facing. And somewhere in doing so, he started talking about the moment when his parents dropped him off at school and it became obvious to everyone that it was time for them to go. They'd done everything they needed to do. And I'm looking at some of your faces and realizing some of you may have walked that moment out with your kids kind of recently. Some of you may be even thinking about that moment in your own lives when your parents took you to college. But he was there and his dad looked at him and then looked at his mom and he said to his wife, he said his schedule's done and his dorm room's set up it's time for us to get back on the road he said you all say goodbye and I'm gonna pull the car around back and the mom and the son walked down together his dad pulled the car up and he said David my dad got out of the car to come around to hug me and he was crying the hardest I had ever seen him cry in my whole life he said so much so that he could barely even speak he just kept looking at me and saying I love you I love you so much that's all he could get out And I said, how was your mom in that time? And he laughed and he said, I remember she was giving reminders like, now remember your meal cart is going to run out and you were the (laughs) only person in charge of refueling that. All those great reminders that you give us moms. And he said, she hugged me, they got in the car and right before they were about to pull off, his mom rolled down the window and she looked at this boy she loved and she said, don't drink it is so dangerous (laughs) those were her parting words to her son and you all if those parents were sitting right here this morning I would be telling them again what's true about them they are such wonderful intentional people I spent a lot of time with them over that year they are remarkable people and truth be told I think they represent all of us they sure represent me when I'm At my best, as a dad, I think I'm parenting more like that father out of a place of love. And when I'm at my worst, I look a lot more like that mom did in that moment where I'm parenting out of fear. And I think when we're parenting out of fear, our kids can never get the best of who we are. As we discussed earlier, our fists are clenched, they're not open-handed. So we're gonna talk more about what that looks like today on behalf of the kids we love. And to be able to, in those moments, extend forgiveness and acknowledge our need for Jesus. I think, I think as parents, sometimes we really do assign ourselves the responsibility. Sissy and I talk a lot about this, to be Jesus to our children. Mm. You can't do that. But what you can do, what you want to do, is be someone who needs Jesus in front of your children. That's what we all want to be in front of the kids we love. Mm. I think they're reminding us of that. I really do. And so we want to leave you all with, there's a passage in Titus 3 that we love, verses 4 and 5, that says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. Because of His mercy. I love the truth that Sissy reminded us of in that passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible. The kids ran to Him. They weren't waiting for Him to say, you were good enough. They just wrap themselves in him and he in them. There's that mercy. There's that abundant love that we want to be open-handed to receive.